It's only because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can go to prayer like we just did. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we can look at something that, I guess, from my standpoint, when I look at a subject matter like the resurrection, I have seen the reaction from brethren over the years, and it just seems one of those things that you just talk about it as doctrine, if you will, that it has happened. And it's true, it has. That's just the very beginning of it. It's the very resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very center of the gospel message that we have a man who who was God in the flesh and came into this world and died as a man only to be risen up from the grave that you and I are even here. And it's that which gives us hope for the reason why we live. You see, when we talk about the resurrection, this is how pointed this doctrine is. If it's false, brethren, it's a shame that we're here if it's false. It really is. We live fraudulent lives if the resurrection is false. We give false hope to untold numbers of individuals. And you know what? When I hear this, it sounds good superficially. But when you think it through to its logical conclusion, it doesn't make sense. I hear, but Mitch, even if it's false, we have good lives. Tell that to the people who died. A false life. Oh, but Mitch, but you have such a better life. I know people who struggle by telling the truth. For living with integrity. And that people can live just immoral lives and seemingly seem happy, but that's all they have is this life. So they live this way. What I'm saying is when we talk about Christianity and we're talking about the resurrection, at the very least it's fraudulent. To me, as atheists would say, it's very damaging. But I don't believe it's false. I believe the resurrection is a matter of fact. And I'm not talking about it just because you can read it in the Bible. I believe there's so many things that when we look not only within the Scriptures, but life itself from a historical standpoint, all the evidences that would point to Jesus Christ as actually having been raised from the dead, I'm willing to die. And that's the only thing, other than my family and those who I love so dearly, am I willing to die for? I'm not willing to die for strangers. I'll protect my life and the life of my family against him. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, I'm willing to die for it. That's how much conviction I have that what we're talking about is in fact true. And so because of the, the gospel message, and I believe that the gospel message is true from a factual standpoint, that this le- legitimate religion, if you will, called Christianity, is the only religion. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, and that Jesus himself says the only way you can ever get to heaven, and the only way you can ever have fellowship is only through me, then I believe it. And brethren, it should be your conviction as well. It is not simply a matter that you can read through these pages and read of people who just talk about the resurrection as if it's just something that belongs to Christians. 
It's the reason why we can sing with our hearts filled with joy. It's the reason why we can be here and go to our God in prayer, not only petitioning Him for the things that we need, but giving Him thanks for the promise that He has given to us that we can be with Him after this life is over, after our bodies go to the grave. That's the conviction I hope that every one of us will have. And so what we're doing is we're looking this morning at the importance of this teaching. That we actually see it from a doctrinal standpoint from the very beginning. And I have had brethren say, Mitch, you know, I never really thought about this teaching as being so central to Christianity. And I'm glad that you mentioned how important the resurrection is. And it should be for every one of us who professes Jesus as our Savior. And so we're going to see this importance, but here's the kick. This is where our hope comes from. You see, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, as we'll look when we read 1 Corinthians 15, that we're the most pitiful of men. And if Paul said that, I believe it. We are in the most pity. And you know, that is exactly the way many in this world, particularly atheists going, what a waste of your life and what a waste of your time. And they pity us. They really do. Because they are convinced in their hearts no such thing as the resurrection. So let's look at some of these things. First of all, I want you to, to go back to the book of Job. I want you to read, you know, when, when you talk about or read through Job, the thing that we think about is his suffering and then his friends or supposed friends in his greatest hour of need. But I want you to see just a little insight into Job's belief system, if you will. When you go to the 19th chapter and, and Job is in dialogue, notice what he says here. Job says to his friends, as he is discussing there, he says in chapter 19, verse 26, And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Now that's a Hebrew way of talking about the resurrection without actually using the words in our, our English. I am convinced, he says, that I will see God. Where do you get that belief from? How do you get that belief? How do you come up with stuff like that? That's because he had a genuine belief in the teaching that God gave to man that after this worldly life is over, the flesh is over, we will see him. We shall know him the way we have a relationship here in this world. And the only way he knows it is through this fleshly understanding, but he knows it nonetheless. And go back to chapter 14 in which he makes mention of this. In chapter 14, here's what he says. His friend says, You turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. What is man? Oh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. He believed he would. Job, in this period. We don't know exactly when he lived. Was it before the flood? Was it after the flood? About the days of Abraham? I don't really know, but 
That long ago, there was a great belief. And it belonged to godly men. And that was his outlook. Well, fast forward hundreds of years later to King David. And David, with all his afflictions that he went through and his trials that he went through, he was rest assured that when he died and went to that grave, that God would not leave him there. And so here's the 16th Psalm, and, and within this Psalm, which is quoted by Peter and Paul later on, we see his view. Chapter 16, or Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That was his view of himself, by the way. He viewed himself as a godly man, and that God would not let him stay in that grave. Of course, this was applied later on to Jesus Christ. We see the Messianic tone, if you will, the, the, the Savior. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 27, or Acts 13, when Paul is teaching men, that they refer back to this very passage in reference to Jesus Christ. Because of this resurrection and the belief that David had this, centuries later, shows that it was a very important belief system to the lives of those that are in relationship with God. Oh, go a little further. We can read of Daniel. Here we have God's people. They've been in captivity for about 70 years by now when, when we have this chapter 12, verse 2 reading. And here is this deliverance that is coming upon them. But notice the overtone to, to what is being said here. Go to Daniel chapter 12 and read with me some of the words of, of what is being said. In chapter 12, it says, At that time Michael, the archangel, had, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and that at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And notice what he says there. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. They're going to awake again. What Daniel is saying is there's going to be a time when, when the dead shall rise and they're going to face judgment. But some of them are going to be arisen to everlasting life. You see, in the Old Testament scriptures, it wasn't something that they just came up with during the days of the silent years. It's, it's all throughout the Old Testament. From one major period to another, from the patriarchal period, if you will, to the United Kingdom, and to this time of captivity, Babylonian captivity. All through the centuries, they had this belief. That's an important aspect of where we get this theme when we talk about the theme of redemption, the theme of resurrection. And so that importance is something which Jesus brought to the forefront. In fact, all throughout his writings, when you go to like John chapter 3, remember when Nicodemus talks to him about life, and Jesus said, a man must be born again if he's going to see God. He's actually talking about the resurrection. And you can go on to many other passages, like in John chapter 15, and, and again, many others, where he is dealing with this mindset. Notice, we have Jews. Those that look toward a Messiah, look for salvation for Israel's redemption, 
But they didn't have this belief. How they came to this point is amazing to me. That they came to this point is no different than what I hear among some. Some would even declare belief in God. You know, we had a visitor here on Wednesday. I was blessed with the opportunity to talk to her about the Lord. She believes in creation. She cannot believe in a risen Christ. There are many that believe this way. Not unlike the Sadducees. And Jesus rebuked them saying, Look at you. Ignorant of the Scriptures. The Scriptures teach of the resurrection. That's what Jesus did. From verse 23 to 32, he made it very clear, the dead rise. And he was letting them know and letting everyone know, listen, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they knew what he meant. He was talking about the resurrection of himself. That was his teaching. And regarding this resurrection in, in John chapter 5, notice what he says there in verses 28 and 29. Beginning in verse 24. Most assured I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So he's given us a glimpse. Look at what he goes on to say. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. He was saying very similar words to what Daniel was saying in Daniel chapter 12. Very similar. We're all going to rise. We're not all going to be with our God. Only those who hear his voice. Kind of like when, when the shepherd calls for the sheep, and only the sheep that belong to the shepherd hear his voice and come. That's what's going to happen. That's what he's saying. And so Jesus himself taught this, made it very clear. And so the fact of this is evident to all. I want, I want you to stop and think about this. When the events took place that Jesus died and then he rose again, do you suppose that the disciples said, oh, we better write this down? Because it wasn't until decades later, some two decades after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, did Christians start writing things and keeping them as the Word of God. These things were understood. They were eyewitness and so on and so forth. Josephus writes about it. Josephus was no Christian. Look at what Paul says. When Paul wrote this letter and it was being copied and circulated around, do you know that there were those that could have easily said, now listen, this didn't happen. And here's the real truth. And they would write about these things. But there is none of that evidence. Look at what Paul says regarding this. You would never write a letter stating these things because it could be either corroborated, which would be nice, or it would be denounced, 
And so here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want us to read the, the first 11 verses of this text. This is central to the importance of this teaching. And this is something that Paul had to write to his own brothers and sisters in Christ because many were being swayed away from the resurrection. Might have been Sadducees that came to know Jesus Christ but didn't want to accept the teaching of the resurrection. It's almost like, I have these beliefs about him and I'll accept them, but I can't accept that. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. So here, at the center of this message, he says, but which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also re uh I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm in the right chapter. I'm in the wrong place here. That I received um, according to our sins, to, according to the Scriptures, verse 3, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After he had been seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some had fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was given me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. So we preach. That very first sermon, Acts chapter 2, again, verse 25 to 27 that Jesus, whom you crucified, he said, I got raised up on that third day. It's a fact. He said, listen, he was seen by the apostles, he was seen by 500, he was seen by Jesus' brother. 500 people, of which many were still alive. You could go and talk to them. People would say, yes, I saw with my own eyes Jesus who had died, who had been buried, I saw him alive. You know, if, if I had told you today that I saw some person, well-known person, and I said I saw him alive, probably you would think I'm crazy, right? They probably thought these Christians were crazy, and yet they still persevered, saying that they saw Jesus Christ, they saw him alive. People would have thought they were crazy. Somehow, we think, oh, it's easy to believe. It was hard for many of these people to believe that people were willing to go to their death saying, I saw him alive. Point to the fact of his resurrection, among other evidences. But I want you to know that with these eyewitnesses, here's what happens. As Paul said, when you look at verses 12 through 19, and in particular, we'll look at verses 17 through 19, Notice what he goes on to say there. Now, if Christ is preached, verse 12, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Jesus was a man too, you know. He died, just like all men die. And if you say that, that there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. 
in verse 14 he says, goes on to say, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ, they perished in vain. If in this life only, verse 19, we have hope in Christ, if in this life only, when we live in the flesh, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. Paul's words. Brethren, if that's our mindset, we don't need to be here. We're wasting our time. And we would do things very differently. Look at what he goes on to say. In verse 31, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Because I believe that Jesus is the risen Christ. Every day I die. I put my desires, my will, I put it aside. That I may live to the glory of Christ. That I may live according to the teachings when he was alive, gave to me. Of course, Paul didn't know him personally then. But the point being that when Christ walked and he gave his teachings, disciples were made. They followed and they passed it on. And that's what he's saying. I died daily for him. And he goes on to say, in verse 32, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And by the way, notice what he goes on to say after this text. He says in verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Talking about those who deny the resurrection and that influence be made upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Brethren, this teaching is so important. It is fundamental to our faith. We live and we die by this teaching. You deny this teaching, you have no hope for life. It's abundantly clear. That's why they say the Sadducees were Sadducees. Because they deny the resurrection. That's how important this teaching is. We're the most pitiful of men if we, if we don't accept the dead rise. But because we accept it, and I hope that you do, if not, we need Bible studies on this. That's how important this is. This would, would trump our studies in Philippians, our studies in the adult classroom, or the studies downstairs with our children, if we don't believe in this. At least that's my opinion. We cheat ourselves, however. If all we do is have this academic knowledge that says, yes, I believe, I see it in the Bible, I read it, I believe it. If that's the limit of our faith, then how shallow our faith. This is what, I don't know, you know, you have water, right? And then you have tonic water. And of course, tonic water for most of us in this country is not all that great. In other countries, they love it. 
But it's that bubbliness, if you will, of that tonic water. It gives life to the water, so to speak. It's like that with our faith. It adds that zest to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's what gives us an extra step in our walk, so to speak. That's what I believe the resurrection does. And I believe that if we just simply acknowledge this resurrection, it, we cheat ourselves. This is that which should give us great joy that when we walk every day, we walk with that hope. That you can sit down with a brother in Christ like Brother Bill, who has a great attitude, knowing he's going to be with his father soon. That you can sit down and smile and look forward to leaving this world. Brethren, you don't have that view. You don't have that smile on your face. You are so close. You're so near to being with your Heavenly Father unless you honestly, genuinely believe that when I go to my grave, I'm not going to stay there. There's no better hope than that. I can tell you right now, I will not be preaching the gospel if I ever lose that hope. Because it would be a waste of my time but I believe with all my heart. And I hope that you'll do the same. And I believe that kind of conviction is what allows you to go and preach the message of Jesus. So that there are those, whether it's your family members, co-workers, your neighbors, friends you grew up with, that you can share this very hope that you have. The kind of hope that you should be willing to die for. This is the kind of hope that takes away all your fear. And that's why I believe we can have that kind of hope. And it should be the very purpose for which you live in the Lord. Because of this hope. God's promised us that we will be with Him eternally. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that He's true to His Word. He is the first fruits, we are told. This was read by Michael this morning. The first fruits. And we after Him. And if God would raise him from the dead, and he being the first fruits, then I know he's going to raise me, and he's going to raise you, because our hope is in the Lord. There's a song I, I was asking Jimmy if he would lead this song, but we didn't have time, and I wasn't sure about copyright issues and what have you. And I had the MP3, and I had the, the hymn sheet uh, I was going to send out to y'all. But I want you to listen to the words of this, as if we were to ever learn this song, I think it would go so well giving us the kind of hope through these songs about our Savior. Richard L. Morrison wrote the song Resurrection. He's a brother in Christ. And in the first stanza he says through the song, and you might not even know that, Dan. <laughs> when Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb and none believed, he had the power. Despite their grief and their disbelief, he commanded, take away the stone. In the second stanza, it goes on to say, When Jesus lay in Joseph's tomb and none believed he had the power, true love spoke forth in a father's voice, and the angel took away the stone. When I shall lie with my tomb, or with my, within my tomb, and none believe he has the power, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout to take away the stone. Do you believe that? I'm asking you a very genuine question. Do you believe in the resurrection, not only of Christ, 
but of all men, including your life. The only way there is no resurrection is if he comes while we're still alive. And that's only for us. All the tombs that have ever been, all the graves that have ever been laid, will come forth. Just like you can read in, in the last chapters of the Gospels, where after Jesus died, and the earthquake, and the tombs were, were opened up, that's what's going to happen. It's that very example, if you will, that should give you the kind of hope that you can have in Jesus Christ that we're going to be raised someday.